When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Art of Charm podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And we're glad you joined us to learn more about the science of conversation, relationships, and mental health. For those of you that are new to us, you'll find that in each episode of the Art of Charm, we strive to bring you the best tips and strategies for building your social skills to help make you feel more connected and more confident in social situations. And for those of you who've been listening for a while, we've made some changes. Each month, we choose one theme and focus all of our episodes on that theme. Last month, it was all about breaking the ice. And this month, it's all about compelling conversations. So this week, we close out the month of compelling conversations by hosting a Q&A episode to answer your questions about getting the conversation headed in the right direction. And joining us today is Chris Paff, otherwise known as Drama. He got a start in reality TV, but in the years since, he's redefined himself as an entrepreneur, launching his own clothing line and starting his own podcast. Drama also shares some of the most important lessons he's learned getting his clothing line and podcast started. So be sure to listen out for that. And we even learned that he struggled with social anxiety himself. I'm excited to dig in on this episode, so give it a listen. So today we have Drama In from Young and Reckless and a podcast, Short Story Long, entrepreneur, a lot into your resume. We'll dig into that in a bit. Thank you for joining us. Today's show, we're going to get to know Drama and we're going to answer some of our listeners' questions all around the theme of compelling conversations. How do we work through that nervous energy? And we even learned a little earlier that Drama has a little social anxiety. Absolutely. So we'll dig into that. Now, You've done a lot of different things in your life, all loosely tied together. Some of our audience may recognize you from a reality TV show back in the day, turn that into a music career and now fashion career and launching a podcast. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about what made you decide to make the jump from music to fashion and then even get started in podcasting. Yeah, I think it was really just like the early one, the jump from music to fashion was trying to find my thing. You know, I moved out here and it was about a year and a half after moving here that my cousin and our group of friends started messing around with what ended up becoming Robin Big. And so that like exploded into this like cultural phenomenon that we were not in any way, shape or form expecting. And so it kind of gave us like all of this leverage and all these opportunities. But my big thing, you know, Rob had a bunch of, he was a pro skateboarder. So he had a bunch of sponsors that were paying him a lot of money. Um, Big Black was his co-star at the time. He was such a big star that he was able to make quite a bit of money. I was kind of third in line and I was looking for my thing because the last thing I wanted to be in the world was a professional reality TV star, right? Or an assistant. Or an assistant, right? That's <laughs> both even, jobs yeah, both terrible. Bad, right? So both options currently were bad. Um, and so I was just scrambling to try to find my thing. My dad played the drums my whole life. So I grew up playing the drums. I learned that that could translate into music production, uh, started doing that and and had some success. You know, we I made some records for Yellow Wolf and Kelly Rowland and Trey Songs and some some success. 
but really then, you know, it was when we started Fantasy Factory, which was our second show on MTV, Big Black had moved to Texas to raise his, his daughter. And I knew that this was my opportunity to be kind of second in line and that I could really launch a brand or launch something powerful. And that's where the idea for Young and Reckless came up. And when that started working so well and taking up so much time, I kind of just bailed out of the music thing. Right. Um, it just, music is a horrible business. And, uh, and I think that I was kind of fighting against myself, right? Like uh, being a reality TV guy and making beats for rappers did not work together. Right. But being reality TV guy, leveraging that to build a clothing line was working. So I went off into that world. And then, um, you know, I think when our TV shows and stuff were over, I was really happy, uh, glad to take a break from creating content for a while. But then a couple of years ago, I just missed it on some level. I just wanted to right. be putting out content, but I wanted to put out content that was in line with who I am and what I stand for and something I could scale. And um, that's where the podcast idea came up was to talk to other. At the end of the day, I'm an entrepreneur who didn't go to college, came out to LA, put the pieces together and kind of made it happen. And so I want to talk to other people like that. I want to try to inspire young people to do the same. I want to get the real knowledge, you know, all that stuff. So I was Curious, you mentioned earlier that you have felt that you've been, a, uh, that you're a quiet guy or a bit introverted. Yeah. And of course, you know, when you're on reality television, there's no hiding and you're going to have to put yourself out there if you're going to make some some airtime and yeah. everything else that goes with that. And then, of course, tra- all this transitioning, that had to be difficult. And my question is, do you feel that those things help diminish any anxiety that you had when it comes to social engagements? Or is it something that you just worked through and that is still there that you still yep. battle with at, at this time? Yep. So the way I would describe it is it it's a constant battle that has gotten much better. Mm-hmm. So I still deal with it in a lot of situations, you know, and, and there'll, there'll be certain moments still when I'm doing podcasts or whatever where I'll feel jammed up and I'll start to feel that old panic, you know, but I have been through a lot. I've learned that not to be cheesy, but the key to my growth and my happiness is right on the other side of that terrible feeling. Absolutely. Every yeah. time it, is, it has been for me. And um, I've read a lot of books about it and I've went to seminar. Like I've done a lot of work to try to really be the best right you know, that I can be. And so it's, I still deal with it, but it's much better than it used to be. Is there anything in all of the work that you've done that stands out as really helping you overcome some of that or work through it? Well, I think um, nothing matches just doing it, you know? And like, once again, I know that for someone suffering with it, like maybe that doesn't sound so helpful, but every time you go through one of those, any experience, small or large, you get a little stronger, you know? And I think like I was telling you guys, when I started my podcast, the first 10 episodes were miserable for me. I was trying to find excuses to run out of the room (laughs) to like go take a breath outside. And um, now I feel so comfortable in all my conversations because I've done 110 you know, podcasts where I've been forced to figure it out. So every single time you feel like dying and you push (laughs) through it, you feel a little better and nothing really beats real world experience. I don't think there's anything that is as terrible as working so hard to set something up. And then while you're there and while it's happening, only thing that you could think of is how do I get out of this? Oh my gosh. It's a lo- large portion of my life has been that exact story, <laughs> you know. And where did the brand name Young and Reckless come from? It really came from, I remember growing up in Akron, Ohio, when that brand Famous Stars and Straps blew up. And that was uh, Travis Barker's brand, and it was the big F. And I remember kids would walk around my high school with 
um, shirts on that would say famous, like with the F. And people would have on their MySpace pages, don't hate me because I'm famous. And it really like made this huge impact. And I remember like nerdy kids at my school walking around feeling some sort of way because they had the word famous on their shirt. And so I just remember thinking like, I knew I was up against a bit of a challenge because I was launching a brand as a reality TV guy on a reality show. And the chances of that becoming crappy merch was like pretty high. (laughs) Um, And so I really wanted to make it something that meant something and stood for something. And it was the early days of me connecting with my same sort of mission statement that I have now. But the thing was, I wanted people to be inspired to go out be young and reckless, forget what your parents tell you, the status quo. If you don't want to go to college, don't go. This is a movement. You know, that's how I pictured it in my bedroom. (laughs) Would you describe yourself as reckless? Uh, Yeah. I don't think that I'm, you know, I'm not going to go out and like get arrested and smash a window out of a car. But I think that, uh, you know, the, the way that I came up and kind of skipped college against my parents' wishes and, and moved to LA and there was a lot of scary things about it and a lot of stuff that was kind of against the safe path. And that's what I really want to encourage people to have a little bit of that, you know, but I'm not like, you know, I keep everything pretty legal, pretty by the book (laughs) sort of guy. Which doesn't really align with your nickname. You're talking a little bit about that earlier. Yep. So what was the genesis of drama? Yeah. So the genesis was, it was right when uh, AOL first started blowing up and everyone had AOL instant messenger. And I guess I was just listening to too much rap music back in Akron, Ohio, but my first screen name was Cause and Drama. And I thought it was cool. (laughs) At the time, I knew no better. I thought it was perfectly fine. And when I moved to L.A., the real story is I remember I wrote my cousin, uh, my cousin Rob, who, who was a pro skateboarder at the time, I wrote him an email. And I wrote him this long email right before I graduated high school. And I said, hey, man, you know, I'm graduating soon. I just want to come out there. I'm willing to clean floors, you know, do whatever it takes. I just want to make it there. And he just wrote back, cause and drama? What the hell? That was all the email said. And I'm like, I just blew my entire chance to make anything of my life because of my stupid screen name. And so um, when I moved out, he had printed all of my corny MySpace photos, laid them out on the kitchen counter and told everyone, my cousin drama is coming to town and everyone better respect him. And he's a, you know, up and coming rapper from Akron, Ohio, which wasn't true. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so when I got here, everyone was like, drama, drama. And then a year later, we started filming this show. They put my little title card as drama. The show blows up and there we go. Now my mom calls me drama. Your mom even calls you she drama. She sure does. It's and official it's weird. then. Yeah. <laughs> and we were laughing about this. You have a brand young and reckless yep. and you have a nickname drama yeah and here you are an adult just a somewhat quiet socially awkward adult <laughs> <laughs> so do you ever feel like it's set the wrong impression and and become something that you've had to overcome almost a handicap never that i've known right and actually to be honest now that i'm 31 years old and trying to position myself a little bit more as like a respectable entrepreneur type guy um I wonder if maybe it does without me knowing it, you know, because I know if I heard like, hey, you have to, you should really talk to this guy drama. He'll help you with, you know, I'd be like, "Mm, how much help can he really be? (laughs) Right. You know, (laughs) the last thing I need is drama. Exactly. So So like now I've started to like really wonder, like at what point do I just never say drama, you know, and just change my social media name? Like when does that happen? Right. So I don't know, but never, never to my face. You know what I mean? Maybe behind the scenes, it might've hurt my, my path, but I don't know. And with the guests you've had on your show now, you said you've been doing it almost two years. Mm-hmm. The first 10, a little rocky. Rocky. Are there any episodes that stand out that our listeners should check out? 
Yeah, you know, there's one that I did. It was episode 50, and it was with uh, this guy named Kevion. And I didn't know him at all leading into the podcast. And it was still pretty new, you know, halfway in. And so I was just taking suggestions from friends I trusted. And my friend was like, hey, you should really interview Kevion. You know, he does real estate. He has a good story. And I'm like, you know what? Sure, I'll take it. So we did it. We ended up talking for three hours. He is a guy who grew up skateboarding like me, went on to do real estate, but has done a lot of personal development work. And he almost is like the skater Tony Robbins, right? Like he just, (laughs) he's like, has all these tools and all these things, but he's a cool, relatable guy. doesn't come off all weird and hippy dippy. And it ended up being an incredible uh, podcast that I enjoyed. But the feedback I've gotten from that one episode, he's not famous in any way, not big on social media, nothing. It's just the feedback is, has been insane from that episode. And I'm trying to figure out how to bottle it up and put a little bit of it into every episode. Right. But there's something about that one I think will get a lot of people. And if you had a sentence to describe your show, what would our audience want to know about your show? You know, I, I really speak to self-made successful people and try to humanize and advise from their journey, right? I want to bring it down to human level. I want to say this right. crazy person this is who they are. They're just a normal guy. Here we are talking for an hour and a half and then advise you on what they learned, put some actionable advice. What can you wake up tomorrow morning and actually do? Um, That's the goal. Right. And who do you have on deck? I'm going to be honest. I hate to name drop and even say this, but today I've been uh, texting back and forth with uh, with Diddy. And he said, I'm going to call you in a minute. Because I'm like, please just come do this show. Right. <laughs> uh, and that would just be a game changer, right? When it comes to like trying to get inside the mind of a successful person. Yeah. Um, so I have no idea if I can pull that one off. I'm also, uh, I just did a Gary Vee one, which I really like because he's such a internet sensation. <laughs> of like, oh, yeah. But I wanted to try to get like a little bit of different, like what's really inside there. Yeah. And it kind of worked. And then I'm working really, really hard again on Larry King. I had breakfast with him the other day. Yeah. And he said he'd do it. So, yeah, he's got a podcast. He's, yeah, he's hip. He knows what's going he on. He knows what's <laughs> going on with new media. Just let me know how you become Larry King. Now, a big part of your brand at the beginning was celebrity endorsements and getting mm-hmm. people rocking your clothing. Mm-hmm. For those listeners of ours who are entrepreneurial, are trying to get their foot in the door, what did you learn out of reaching out to celebrities, cold calling to actually make those connections? Yeah, the biggest thing, there's a few. The biggest one is don't ever be scared to ask. Like you got to just ask everyone for everything. It's going to feel bad when people mm-hmm. say, no, are you kidding? But right. who cares? This is a numbers game. This is a spray and pray game, I always say. Yeah. Not um, one shot, one kill. So that's a big one. Ask everyone, just go for it. Um, the second one is you got to find the right match. If the person doesn't fit the brand, it means literally nothing. So I've had a lot of really successful ambassador uh, programs. I've wasted a lot of money on ambassador programs also because sheer numbers and and engagement and interaction doesn't really mean anything if it doesn't fit. Right. Last but not least, if you have a couple meetings with someone and it feels like they just want a check or for any reason the deal feels like a check exchange for work, you know, work for hire, uh, bail out. Because if they don't actually care for some reason, they can like you, they can used to like your TV show, they can like the idea of the project. If they don't like you or really care about it at all, you're you're dead in the water. They're not going to do the work. They're not going to do the work well. Right. It's not going to be worth the money. And again, building a brand, right? You're not building one shirt or yeah. a launching a line. You're building a brand that you want to stand for something and, and stay in the game longer. What do you do to stay young and hip now that you're 31? 
I think the big thing is like, as we get older, we all do it. We all get like the grandma syndrome or grandpa syndrome where we think everything new is so terrible or scary or weird or doesn't make sense or back in my day. And that's like our natural reaction. And the thing is, when you're running a brand, if you're, I mean, for me, my brand is mainly male, 16 to 24 years old forever. We never grow older with our customer. We never, nothing. If you, when you turn 25, you can leave us. We want your 16 year old brother to join us, right? Um, And you have to know that. And if that's your program, you can't worry about back in my day or trying to change the way things are going. Or I don't like this social media thing. We're going to do it differently. You're going to fail. You know, you got to look at what's going on, accept the times, embrace what this culture that you're trying to make money off of is doing and try to heighten it. Try to add something to it. Don't try to change it or keep the glory days alive, you know? And Obviously, having an opportunity to interview as many people as you have, struggling yourself with social anxiety, is there anything you go into the interview thinking about to help make the conversation more compelling? Obviously, you don't want to stare at the clock for 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, I think the biggest thing is like as much as I can just have a real conversation and let my answers or my next question be my honest next question or my honest answer, not something that I have written down on a notepad or in my memory, or like you said, like trying to hit that time. You know what I mean? Like, okay, how many more of these until let's get a speed round? What's your favorite dog? I try to make it real and really be curious. And I, the big thing for me is I don't have too many guidelines on like how successful you have to be or like financial benchmarks to do an interview on my show. It's more about like, do I care? Can I make myself care? And if somebody sends me somebody that I've never heard of, I'll look at their stuff. And I don't care if your business does 20 grand a year if I care about why you did it and I genuinely want to know. So that to me is the differentiator. And the moment I just start asking questions off a notepad, I'm screwed. I'm just like every other podcast. You made mention of of in the the clothing line of going with the times and not getting caught up with trying to bring something back Mm -hmm. or going against the grain. How do you stay... Uh, with the flow of things rather than getting stuck in your ways and trying to bend how things are are now moving forward. Because certainly we're living in times now where technology and the climate and scenes are moving so fast. Yeah. For me, I just got to submerge myself in it. So like if I, you know, let's just say we're talking technology, I got to go to CES and walk around and I have to walk around with the mentality of what's going on. This is interesting. Not, oh, I wish we could go back to flip phones. Right. <laughs> you kidding me? You know what I mean? I can't do that. And also like if a new app comes out, a new there's a new app that just came out where you can people will pay you your set amount to send them a video shout out. So you can say like, "Hey Christina, great job on your graduation. So proud of you." Personally, it feels super weird to me. It yeah. feels like whatever. But there is the argument that it's the new autograph. It's mm-hmm. the new sending people autographs. And right. Interesting. You, and so it's my job to see that it's working. There's something going on there and get on it and start trying it and see what happens. I'm not by any means like an all-knowing, nope, that's not going to work. That's not whatever. And that's how a lot of people I think live. For me, I got to submerge myself into everything. Go to concerts, go to whatever the new thing is, go to Coachella, go to whatever and be there and feel and see what's going on. And it's undeniable when you're in it. Do you yeah. ever feel at times of, of of it moving so fast? It, it's just spinning and you're just trying to hold on with it all coming at you? Every morning <laughs> until like my second cup of coffee. Hits all right. me. You know, yeah. it's... It's mind-blowing how fast things are moving. Absolutely. 
totally I can't, agree. I can't for the light. I mean, in my opinion, I, once again, just to give you my honest answer, I'm not sitting here from the position of like, oh yeah, I got this figured out. I can tell you how to ride this wave. I'm sitting here from the position of, I'm trying to hang on and be involved in everything and understand what's going on and constantly be a part of it, you know? But it's crazy. And how many members of your team are young and reckless versus old and stable? <laughs> I can tell you exactly because the other day I decided, I heard a couple of people talking about uh, skydiving. And I was like, well, that'd be a great company like outing, you know, not trust falls. We're going to jump out of a plane. <laughs> right. And I sent a company email and I, I think there's 43 people now. And I said, anyone who wants to go skydiving, I'm taking everyone for free, whatever. We're going to go on this day. It's going to be great. There are exactly 12 people that are young and reckless. That's the answer. <laughs> there are 12 that committed to go and said they would do it. And the rest were like, absolutely no shot. No way. <laughs> for a lot of people, for a lot of people, that's like, you know, your one time, like somebody invited me, it's free. Why not? Like mm -hmm, that's right. the test of like, would you ever do this or not? And it was either sure I'll do it. And there were some that were scared out of their minds, but the rest were like zero chance. So I'd say there's 12. I feel like that why not is almost a mantra you've been following, right? The why not reality TV, why not music production, now why not clothing brand and all of a sudden podcasting. Yeah, Is that something that when you have those moments of, I don't know, yep. this feels uncomfortable in the back of your mind, do it. Yep. You wonder what I think is, I think that there's not enough messaging out there for people who don't have a like passion that they would die for. You know, like you hear about like the musician or the, you know, or just maybe you knew you wanted to be a brain surgeon your whole right. life, you know, but I grew up just absolutely in love with skateboarding, but I knew I wasn't good enough to be a pro skateboarder. I was very real about that. And I didn't let that pull me into my thirties trying to like, you know, I could <laughs> ride one day, the dream. believe me, you know? And so I think that for the rest of us, the people that just want to be successful and enjoy what they do and make some impact here on the earth, you have to have quite a bit of why not, you know, because if you get a big opportunity, some of my biggest opportunities I thought were stupid or not for me or silly, and they've put me into a direction that I never thought, reality TV being the biggest one, right? right? Who would have thought? I never would have thought that was going to be my path, but it slingshotted my life into this whole other area where I'm so happy beyond belief and live a life that I'm like, what the hell? Who thought this would have happened? But that's from a why not moment, you know? So you got to do it as much as you can tolerate it. It's, it's funny. We were talking about this a little earlier. And if you put yourself and set yourself up with a goal mm -hmm. and then have that why not attitude or at least a open and yes to the steps it's going to take to reach that. You will put yourself on an adventure. There's no other way towards that. And a lot of times I talk to a lot of people who, who can't understand how, how do you go on these ventures? How do you, do you allow these things to happen? How are you able to overcome certain obstacles? And it, it is that yes uh, attitude. Yeah, it is. And I think that a lot of times they're right in front of you. You mm -hmm. know, the next move, and once again, I don't want to sound like cheesy, inspirational guy, but like a lot of times they're right in front of you. You're just blind to them because you're too busy worried about all the reasons why sure. you can't or all the things that are wrong in your life or all the things, whatever. But I'll tell you, like, if you're listening to this podcast and you feel like, man, I could podcast, I could, why not? Why not start one? Why not? I mean, it changed my life podcasting and I never thought it would. Why not start it, try it, whatever your thing is. Oh, skydiving sounds interesting. Go try it because it'll lead you to the next thing. And I think people kind of sometimes will have a tendency to stay at home in the safety of their living room and what they know. And because it's scary out there, 
You know what yeah. I mean? It's scary to take that first jump. But man, like if you start following those why nots just a little bit, it's going to lead you down a chain reaction path that you're going to be explaining on a podcast one day, trying to wrap your head around it. Well, and also to go along with that, I mean, the life that you start to live when you have a why not attitude is full of adventure every day where I used to think for myself that I was a night person Mm -hmm. and I would always, oh, mornings are not for me. I'm a night owl, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until I actually had that same attitude where I had amazing things to do every day to where I kept wanting to get up earlier and earlier because I was so excited about what each day became. And it wasn't because I was a night person. It was just, I didn't have these other things going on. And it wasn't until it was a why not attitude where everything opens up. Yeah. And I can relate to that so much because to be honest, I was the exact same way and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but (laughs) I would like, there was no way I was getting to sleep before two. It just wasn't possible. (laughs) And there were days, successful, sober days where I was waking up at 10 AM and I'm trying to run this business. I'm pretending like I'm an entrepreneur, you know, whatever. And I'm waking up late and sleeping in. It wasn't until a friend challenged me to start waking up. And I think it started with like a week, you know, wake up for a week at 7 AM. That's it. And then all of a sudden you start doing it. You realize it's not that hard. You realize, oh, I have time to work out. Wonder yep. what working out is like, right. you know? And then all of a sudden now, now I'm the guy who wakes up at 7 a.m., works out three days a week and does, I'm the completely different mm-hmm. guy because of a challenge to wake up early for, you know what I mean? And it was the Absolutely. same way. I was a night guy too. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to make that your narrative living yeah. in Hollywood. We were laughing about <laughs> where we were living earlier. You know, we live in the epicenter of nightlife here in L.A., so it's easy to get caught up in that and sleep in and then make that, hey, I'm just a cool entrepreneur. I'm sleeping until 11 and now I'm checking my emails. <laughs> but when you actually start getting up earlier before everyone else is hammering you, you can actually get that alone time. You can get that meditation and you can get that workout in and then hit the ground running instead of playing catch up at 11. Like, oh my God, my inbox is insane. How am I going to get through this day? Yeah. I mean, for especially because this is the kind of the thing of this episode for a guy that deals with anxiety on any level, the difference between starting your day on offense and starting it on defense is like a night and day it's, difference. It's amazing. For every interaction. It changes the way I am in this podcast. Mm-hmm. It's the difference of waking up and having an inbox full of things and feeling like you're the late one and having time to meditate and take some time to yourself and do whatever and then approach the day however you want to approach it. Like it is a game changer. And it was so funny. I mean, I would hear that advice constantly, even on guests we had on the show yep. about successful people get up early. They get up before everyone else. I'm like, I can be successful and sleep in. Yeah. I can be excess- successful and, <laughs> and stay up all night working. It actually doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't. We are not wired to be productive that late at night. You can say you are, you can say you're bucking the trend, but the proof is in the pudding. We've had enough guests on over the years to know that getting up early, early rising gets things done. It does. Now, the show obviously painted you in a certain light. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone watching the show would have guessed that you would go on to the career that you've had since. Yeah. And I know for us, we've been approached about reality TV, and that's been one of our biggest <laughs> hangups is that they have to create drama. They have to create stereotypes to move the show forward. And when you have two big personalities like Rob and Big running things, it's easy to be socially awkward and then just paint it as the aloof one or the guy who is not intelligent. How do you feel now about that first impression that's been made on a show that was so widely watched? Yeah. I think, to be honest this, like when it first started, I couldn't care less because I was just looking for my way in, right? Yeah. So this is what it looked like from our group, like... 
All of a sudden, you start filming this MTV show, a bunch of skaters, you know, and you're filming this MTV show. So, of course, what starts happening is all the friends just start popping in, you know, and like, hey, guys, just seeing what you guys were yeah. up to, you know. Like, <laughs> oh, you're filming today? Oh, shocking, shoot, you know. And, um, and so I was around uh, a lot because I was Rob's assistant, but I noticed that a lot of the friends were getting told like, hey, you just can't come over like from this time to this time because everyone's trying to insert themselves into oh, a conversation course, yeah. or find a way to become the next star. And I just think that that I found my dynamic in being the little cousin that was kind of the butt of the jokes and the whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. That was a huge part of who I was at that time. Yeah. But that was my way in. That was my dynamic. And, and to be honest, they would send me stuff. They would send me ideas. They'd be like, hey, we want to go to Vegas for your 21st birthday, but we want to shave your head like an old man. And we want to do a <laughs> billboard that says you're going bald. And do you mind? And I'm like, no, that's hilarious. Right. You know. And so that was the first phase. Second phase was that just became who I was. So anytime we were filming, I used to joke with the executive producers. They would come in, they'd say, here's what Rob's about to do. He's going to come knock on the door. He's going to show you his new thing. And I'd say, okay, do you want me to be S1 or S2? And that's stupid or scared. <laughs> and they'd say, this is more of an S2. And I'm like, okay, great. You know. And so I would react kind of that way and then we'd go down that path. Still fine. Third phase was, and I'll just be honest, I had started a business. You know, I'm not a dummy uh, by nature. I had started a business. I wanted to kind of start to grow up and do my own thing. And I had this huge reputation or character as this guy. And that was the part that was hard, you know, because I would try to reach out to people to work or even do article, you know, get asked to do an article about the business or stuff like that. And it just, the two things weren't taken seriously together. Right. It was like, we know you for this guy. We don't want you to change. Yeah. And so I, I felt like I kind of fought through that. And to be dead honest with you, for a couple of years, it drove me absolutely nuts. Like when I was probably 26 or 27, yeah. but it wore off, you know, and I wish I would have been able to tell myself then like, just chill, bro. Like right. wait a couple years, it's going to wear off. Cause now I don't deal it with it, with it at all. Even just starting a podcast and kind of putting myself out there again, a little bit more for who I really am. I don't deal with it ever. And like, it, it's crazy to me that it even used to be an issue, you know, but it's funny. You paint yourself in one way and it's hard to transition that like perception, you know? Yeah. Especially when the spotlight is on you from every angle. I yeah. mean, between the show and then the spinoff and then ridiculousness and everything else, it yeah. became this huge cultural phenomenon and it's easy to fit in that typecast. Yeah. And also, to be honest, right, you're kind of in Rob's shadow. Yeah. So people are like, well, is Rob behind this? How do I get 100%. to Rob? Uh, so then you're also kind of being used when you're like, hey, I want to stand on my own two feet. I have my thing now. Yeah, 100%. And it was the gift and the curse, right? You know, it's like I was so fortunate to have this platform and really it was spearheaded by Rob and Big Black. And to be able to get in on that and create a life out of it, I am unbelievably blessed the curse of that all is you have this shadow to get out from under and <laughs> yeah. that's going to take some real work and some real like putting out stuff that you think is good with people saying it's garbage and if it wasn't for Rob and you know what I mean <laughs> right. it, it will beat your soul down until you get past it but it's funny to me now you know now like I said I don't it's just funny to me. I don't understand. I don't connect to that like real pain that it put me in right. and when I watch old episodes and stuff I'm like it was so good. Like at the end of the day, had I tried to take myself too serious on any of those shows, I just would have been gone. 
it was funny, you know, and I don't, there's not a piece of that that I'm like frustrated that I did or, you know, it's really ridiculous now to go back and watch old Robin Big episodes. Yeah, yeah. but also it's your 20s, you know, it's it's when you can be ridiculous. Now, if you're acting that way in your 40s and 50s, yeah, it's a totally different ballgame. Yeah, yeah. It's a, been a journey, man. But yeah, it feels good now. Right. Yeah. It just took some time to, to work through. It did. And of course it did. I wish I could have told myself, like, just relax, you know? <laughs> like for anyone out there that's like, I know I'm doing the right thing, but people aren't seeing it. Just, right. just relax and keep doing the right thing. Like it catches up, but you can't expect, like, you're lucky to be on a hit TV show being a goof, you know? Like you can't expect the next day to be like, oh, by the way, I'm also a genius entrepreneur. And then right. be like, okay. And just be accepted for yeah, that, right? It doesn't on. work that way. Yeah. So we have some listener questions here and we have someone on the show who has struggled with social yeah. anxiety, podcasting, having more conversations experience is one of those ways that we talk about breaking out of that. The first question here from Lev Larch is, how can you stray away from boring small talk or reach engaging subjects faster? And obviously interviewing people, that's the last thing you want to do is have boring small talk with people who've been on other shows. Personally, Gary Vee, you can find everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So what are some tips that you have for breaking out of that dreaded small talk? My biggest thing is making sure that, you know, just take one moment to be honest with myself that I'm never the cause of the small talk. Like, am I initiating the good talk? Right. You know, because sometimes you kind of go into it expecting the other person to drive it and and you're ending up in no man's land and you need to learn how to push a little bit and talk about, get to what you want to get to. You know what I mean? And then I think other than that, for me, I just... I'll take the small talk for a second and then I'll just find a way to keep moving. You know, right. I've never been a big fan of it. Luckily, I think I was conditioned early from early TV days to be able to kind of move and shake around people. But um, I always try to do it in the most polite way possible and, and never um, just say, hey, your small talk's stupid. I'm out of here. <laughs> I think, to be honest, I think small talk gets a bad rap. Mm -hmm. I think there are plenty of memorable conversations that started with boring small talk. I don't think every single conversation has to skip over small talk. I think the way to break out of it is to actually listen to the other person and be engaging. That's what makes big talk. There's little bits and nuggets that'll come out of small talk. Growing up in Ohio, starting a business. You know, that's boring small talk to most people, but out of that are some commonalities. We're from the Midwest. Oh, we've been working on a podcast and entrepreneurship. So you can take the small talk and turn it big at any time. We get into trouble when we try to avoid it completely and just hammer people with, okay, now I have to go into rapport with you. Now I have to force this connection on you. People go, whoa, 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 I'm not ready for big talk. So I find that a lot of times when people think about small talk, they automatically think boring. But I know we've been able to transition plenty of small talk into great conversation. It, well, it's it's just part of it. And if you don't allow small talk, how can you build upon anything, right? How can you allow the other person that you're speaking with to feel comfortable and they get relaxed and then take it in those directions? And when you look at this question, it shows the common problem of, I want to avoid that. I'm looking for the home run. What is it? And if you're focused on that, uh, what, then you're putting a bunch of pressure on yourself on the other person and now you're going to find things go flat because you're not focused on the right things and you have to allow uh, for a foundation to get built and that's that's going to be in the small talk and he's asking reach engaging subjects faster well offer them up through questions yeah right? that's it, my biggest thing like you got to drive 
you know, I think a lot of people play the victim in this yeah. thing, mm-hmm. you know, and like, are you the, are you attempting to make it big talk or are you just saying, oh, stop asking me these stupid questions? Yeah. It's your offense versus defense, right? Yeah. If you're being the person who's willing to offer up bigger questions and dig a little deeper or offer up some vulnerability, then the other person in conversation goes, you know what? I'm cool with the small talk too. Let's go to the big talk. But a lot of times, as Johnny said, people are just waiting on the home run, mm-hmm. waiting for that teed up pitch, and it never comes. And then it's just completely flat and boring. His follow-up question here from Lev is, how do you avoid talking about yourself too much and instead make the other person talk about themselves? We can unpack the question itself. <laughs> well, before we go there, there's just one more thing I want to add to that first part. And I know for myself, when I'm at my best to have much deeper engaging conversations, it's talk about being on the offense is because I've been reading about something that has been really interested, uh, that I've been interested in. And I want to explore that. And I need somebody else to explore that thought with you're usually the end of this. Yeah. I'm on the receiving end of it. (laughs) And, uh, and, and because I'm trying to work through it, I want to see how other people, I want their reaction. I want to get different perspectives on it so I can, uh, work through it. And so from, so here, I mean, we have all the resources that we want in front of us to explore deep conversation, engaging things that get you thinking. So to answer that question here is, you know, make sure that you're engaging in your yourself. Yeah. Being an engaged person in life. Mm-hmm. I think boring comes from boring people. And a, right? if you're boom. having boring small talk, you're probably living a boring life. Mm-hmm. Or you scared know. people. I think there's some people who just don't know how to take a conversation there because it's the scary questions to ask. Yeah. You know, it's scary to ask about someone's parents or ask where they came from or how, how everyone's doing. I think like getting over that fear a little bit of diving into those deep waters and hearing a long, deep answer about how that person really is, you got to take that leap, you know? Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. 
Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Last week, we had on Alex Banyan, who had an opportunity to interview amazingly successful people. And he said exactly the same thing, right? There's going to be fear on both sides. Both people at the start are going to be afraid to offer up and be a little vulnerable. For him, it was getting someone to laugh. And getting the laugh broke the tension. And then all of a sudden, amazing conversation happened with Bill Gates. It is always going to be tense at the beginning. And I think a lot of people... Oftentimes, we'll be like, I'm feeling tense, but there's no way drama's feeling tense. Mm-hmm. Both sides are feeling tense. We're strangers, and we want to make a great first impression. We want to stand out for the right reasons. Well, uh, to go along with that, and you have to be open to the person that you're speaking with to have a completely different perspective and idea ab- about what you're bringing up. Well, that's a foreign concept in today's yeah. environment. Well, that's right? what I want to talk about. Because <laughs> Expert here's level. Thing. You post on Facebook some thought that you had, and then you get slammed by everyone that you know calls you a jerk and a bigot and everything else that goes along with it. And you're like, oh, it was just a random thought that I posted. And because that happens so much with all this new social media, well, then people are terrified to even bring it up in real life. But what's the reality of that in real life is it's hard to just glambast somebody who's standing in front of you. And you talk about social media. Obviously, you have a massive social media presence. We'll dig into this a little bit more, the strategy behind all of that. But social media also offers up all of the information you need to stay out of boring small talk. Sure, yeah. What people are posting on their Instagram is what matters to them, what they care about. I've never posted a photo online <laughs> that didn't move me or yeah. motivate me. Yeah. I'm never like, oh, this is boring. Better post it on Instagram. Yeah. So 
everyone is offering up all this information to make it engaging, to make it big talk. Yeah. But you have your blinders on. No, I'm not paying attention to that. Oh, well, guess what? He just got a puppy. Look at his Instagram. He's going to be engaged and excited to talk about that. Oh, yeah. If we have any problem right now, it's that there's too much information. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just grab one thing and talk about it. And social has been a huge driving force behind your branding. What tips could you have to set yourself apart on social? I know so many people these days are worried about their personal branding and coming across the right way. Yep. What have you found with social that's been so impactful? So I think we live in a day where, you know, all you talk, all, all we hear about is social media, right? It's the new TV. It's the new this. It's destroying every industry. It's the blah, blah, blah. I think that that's all true. And I think that it's really easy to look at all of these social media influencers and all this stuff going on, and you just get swept up in all of this noise and action going on. And so your thing is, how do I grow the biggest, the fastest, right? I need right. more followers today, more, 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 now, now, now. And that is the very wrong way to think about it. You have to think about quality. You have to think about building an actual connection with your following. And the only way that you're ever going to do that is by being authentic to your own self, your own story. And just like reality TV, the juicier you get, the more people are going to like it. But you can only get juicy about your own life and your own experiences. So I would just say be as authentic as you can. Keep it real. If something's bothering you and you're working through it mentally, try to work through it with your audience. If you had a rough day, show it. If you had a great day, show it. Um, but just be authentic, man. Don't try to paint this perfect picture and grow as quick as possible, as fast as possible, because nobody cares. Yeah. And the pressure then leads to you buying followers, buying likes, trying to get attention, fighting over other people's attention. It's not worth it. Do you ever find as someone who struggles with some social anxiety that it's difficult to post to put yourself out there on social media? A million percent. So when I made this big transition, it started two years ago by launching a podcast that was rough in the beginning, then caught on. I think that the wave of support that I got from that that was more than what I really expected um, gave me a little bit more confidence. Then I started doing some more like video blog type stuff and I would go do an interview and I would have my guy film it and I'll post a clip of something I said on my Instagram in a more you know digestible format. Every time before I press post and it's a video of my <laughs> face saying something real. I get so nervous and then I post it and I put my phone down and I just don't pay attention. Yeah, you and have to like, walk away. Whatever. If it point. does good, it does good. If not, I'll delete it. But a million percent. It's a weird feeling putting yourself out there on that platform. Yeah, even after all of this following you've built and all of the brand awareness around it, it's still scary to be that vulnerable and be that intimate. Yeah, it just is. And I'm from the generation that like, I'm just young enough to understand social media, but just old enough to think it's a little weird. Yeah. And so we I'm were right laughing on. about that earlier, like yeah, oh yeah. hopping in a stranger's car. Yeah. You know, we're we're from a generation that our parents were like, never in a million years do that. There are now kids growing up who only know social media, who only know riding in strangers' cars. Yeah, it's not even weird. It's not, yeah, it's absurd. I, my, my friend just had a kid like six months ago. And the thing what, that we were talking about is he, will, he could very well never drive a car. Yeah. You know, between Uber and all that and then autonomous drivers. And, you know, like there's a chance this young human may never <laughs> drive a vehicle. Touch a wheel. But um, yeah, so I think it's- Do they have a social media though? Do they already have an Instagram? Thank and God, no. Following? He's not that type of dad. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it is weird. Everything about it feels a little weird. At the same time, there's something really cool about it too. Like if you can build a following of a, what you guys do, you have a lot of people that listen to you. You're 
actually changing their lives for the better and helping. And they're, you're only able to do that because they connect with you guys personally and they like hearing you talk to them for an hour or so, you know, it, through a podcast. That's pretty incredible. So it's about balancing, you know, those things. Yeah, I think what's uh, amazing, you know, starting 12 years ago in a basement with some <laughs> microphones is that people are clamoring for this realness and this authenticity. And quite honestly, you know, that's what major media is missing out on. They've, mm -hmm. they've gone so cookie cutter and it has to be a certain way and forced and even reality TV is forced in that way. And all of a sudden people are like, no, I just want some realness in my life. I want to hear people who are real. I want to get the truth. I don't want to get it filtered through your biases. And I, I think it's so exciting to be involved in that. And I love that you're encouraging people to join in and do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone to. needs to find their voice and share it with people. Now, not to leave Lev hanging, yeah. how do you avoid talking about yourself too much and instead make the other person talk about themselves? He's going to hate the answer because it's right in front of his nose. It's being more curious. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, like, yeah. everyone wants to tell their story, myself included, but give the other person an opportunity to tell their story. It's their favorite subject. Yeah, I just think it sounds like he kind of, he's like just self-aware enough to know there's a problem, but not enough to know how to fix it. Yeah. And it's like, you obviously spot that you're talking about yourself too much and the other person isn't. You got to just make a, write it out. Like I've found a lot of things, even in social life, which this seems so weird. If you put it into almost like it's a business task, you can exercise these things and make a list of 10, you know, you get, let's say you get nine questions and then you get to say one thing about yourself at the end of it, right? And you just come up with good questions. Ask that person real good questions about their life and about what they're going on. And at the end of nine, you can say something about yourself. You know, <laughs> the other thing that I, I see in here, it, it's just people get the idea wrong. So like, for instance, if you were to hear something like, oh, this person always commands a room when they walk in. So what's the first picture that you think of when you hear Running that? your mouth. Running, come in, start mm -hmm. bossing everyone around, mm -hmm. telling everyone what's going on, bringing all the attention to me. Uh, the podcast is about me. The, the, the cue's on me. This is on me. What are you doing? Just going off. When the person who's commanding this room is lighting up everyone in that room, getting everyone in that room to smile, engaging in everyone's workday and what they're doing. And that's where that, that difference is. And if everyone starts to relax and rather than how am I going to come in this room and take charge and take command and rather than replacing that of how am I going to go into this room and be curious about everyone and what they're going on? Well, then all of a sudden this question doesn't exist anymore. All of a sudden this question and the pressure that you've put on yourself to walk in this room, command it goes away. Mm -hmm. And people are not impressed by you talking about yourself. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. It does not make you interesting. What makes you interesting is taking interest in the other person. And that's why we teach that conversation formula because it allows you, like you were saying earlier, to follow a very easy formula. You ask a question of the person, you have to actually listen to their answer, which most people struggle with. It sounds like Lev is one of them. And then you're able to form a statement about yourself. But it always starts with a question, getting the other person to open up a little bit, listening, and then doing something with their answer allows them to feel like, okay, now I'm heard. Now I want to get to know AJ. Now I want to get to know drama. Now I want to get to know Johnny because I feel heard and I don't know enough about them. And all of a sudden I'm now taking interest in them. But if you come at it of, I'm going to talk about my resume, I'm going to talk about myself. I just got to fill the room with my voice. 
then not only are you having boring small talk, you're turning a lot of people off. They're completely uninterested. Yeah. That's why I just, I'm picturing like, I just got to talk. I got to tell about my resume. I got to do this. I got to do that. How come nobody else is talking about themselves? <laughs> it's like, man, cause you've been talking the whole time. Right. You know what I mean? They like, have nothing else to say. Yeah. Well, the, living in Hollywood, we're also privy to a lot of people's work days who work in the industry. And we always, of course, the common question to these people is, hey, who's your favorite actors or who's your favorite person you've ever worked with? And you ever notice it's always the actors who got them a coffee or who came in and asked them about their day. And that's the most amazing stuff. And it's always, once again, it's putting, it's taking interest in other people around you. And, and, and how amazing is the workday when everyone feels calm and relaxed and open rather than I have to walk on eggshells today because if I do anything wrong, homeboy is just going off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and asking questions is is so easy for an introvert. You're picking everyone else's favorite topic. Yeah, yeah you get to takes just the pressure off. Throw you. questions and hide in the bunker. <laughs> you know, go ahead. Catch you talk. a little you something. Talk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Joel wonders how do you start a conversation, especially when you're feeling nervous. And I think everyone has been there mm-hmm. where. Your nerves get the best of you. Yes. You come in and you you want to work every angle. You want this to be a memorable conversation. And sometimes we just put so much pressure on ourselves to hit those home runs, as Johnny was saying, that the nerves end up getting the best of us. And I think most importantly is paying attention to your body first and grounding yourself, feeling your body and not allowing those thoughts to creep up into your head of what I'm going to say next or how can I do this? Even the thought of Thinking about my hands, how do my hands feel right now, can get you out of that cerebral nervous energy that you're feeling. And on top of that, as we said earlier, putting the ball in someone else's court when you're nervous is a great way to hide in the bunker, to take the pressure off of you. Because when you're asking someone else a question, you're putting a spotlight on them, they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about how nervous is that guy. It gives them an opportunity to go, oh yeah, what do I want to say here? How can I share this story? Or how can I add this to the conversation? Well, the other thing to go with that is those nerves and much like you were talking about how it is something that you had to work with and, and it's, and it's going to continue to be there. We all get nervous upon meeting new people and especially people that we look up to. We want to start a conversation and the sooner you get over trying to be, make it work or be perfect or, or, or the home run is this, and as the soon as you're able to laugh at yourself and know that. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to try to start this conversation. It may not go so well, but that's okay because at least I tried. Yeah, I think uh, my what my answer was going to be was start with a question about them because that's a great way to like introduce, start the conversation, but put all of the pressure on them from the beginning and you get to kind of find your way into that conversation. I always, you know, current events are obviously an easy, always entry point, right? Because everyone kind of has, as long as it's maybe not, you know, too political or something where you might start fist fighting, but uh, uh, something that you can kind of bond on or whatever. Um, That's it, man. And just go for it. Like, just... Give it the attempt, and then when you leave, go over with yourself how it went, how to do a little bit better the next time, and grow through all of those experiences. Don't just label yourself introvert who's stupid and can't talk to anyone. You know yeah, I mean? and that I feel some of that coming mm-hmm. from Joel's question is he's already kind of labeled himself as nervous before yeah. it's even happened, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The nuance with the question that I, I want to point out to listeners that's so important is if we ask too many questions – 
then the conversation does die because you're Mm -hmm. putting too much pressure on the other person and you're really showing them that you're not willing to offer or engage or listen to what they're saying and it becomes meaningless. So questions we are wired as humans to answer, especially that first one. I mean, we'll we'll get stopped on the street with a question, even if we don't know that person and, and answer time. There's the Starbucks. Oh, here's the bathroom you're looking for. But we have to fill and disclose something or the conversation is never started. The other person doesn't know anything about you. And that's why we always go back to that simple formula. We ask a question, we listen to their answer, and then we provide a statement. Even if we disagree or we don't know what they're talking about, we at least let them know, hey, I'm unfamiliar with that movie. I've never heard of it. Who's in it, right? That statement alone allows the other person to go, AJ's listening, AJ's engaged. Okay, I feel comfortable adding more to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Bradley Daniel McPherson asks, what tips can you provide for when you feel yourself seizing up in conversation? We've all been there. You you had your little story put together. You scripted it out. You're like, I'm going to say this, and they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to nail them with this joke, and it's going to go great. Yeah. Oh, now what? Right? When you freeze up. What are your tips for freezing up a conversation? I'm sure you've been there, especially interviewing people. Yep, been there lots. It reminds me of uh, podcast one through 10. Uh, <laughs> literally in everyone. I'm not kidding, man. I was thinking about like trying to a fake phone ring, like anything to get up and run. Uh, my biggest thing is, to be honest, I started trying meditation. And I think it was something that for a long time I looked at as weird and mm-hmm. kind of out there. And when I really read about it and and the studies on it, and it kind of brought it down to earth a little bit more. And there's something about from doing it for, you know, I've probably been doing it for a year or something now. And I'm able to now, I can feel myself getting worked up and losing it and getting, you know, out there. And I think that has allowed me to even just in a small way kind of focus on myself, focus on my breath for a second. Even while I'm having a conversation, I'm just reeling it back in because the moment it gets out from under you, that's when it gets crazy. But if you can learn to reel it back in, I mean, I would say for someone like that that deals with those type of problems, if you don't look into meditation and really, you know, it does What was your entryway into meditation? Was it an app, a book? It was, an, it was an app, but it was a dinner with friends. It was a dinner with two friends who were older, uh, more successful guys. And I told them some of the issues I was having. And actually, we were in a busy restaurant in Beverly Hills, and I was starting to have anxiety. And uh, they were like, man, do you meditate? And I was like, no. What do I look like, a <laughs> monk? You know? And uh, they were like, you should really, like, stop all that. You should really look at it. And I, I read a little bit about it. I downloaded an app, and I just do it for 10 minutes every morning. And it's the smallest thing that just allows me to be able to simply notice when I'm losing it and reel it back in quick. And that really helps me now. Like I don't have those moments anymore of feeling like I just need to bail out. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 
93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years going through endless resumes. Well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Meditation for a lot of people is scary because it sounds like a lot of work. It does. And it's a large commitment. It's almost like going to the gym. Like, you know, you need to work out, but it's going to be an hour and I'm going to be sore. Honestly, the smallest amount of meditation, just actually thinking about your thoughts and feelings in real time and understanding that those are just thoughts and feelings in real time gives you, it's not going to make you a Zen master. I think that's the other thing is everyone's like, oh my God, I got to get perfect at this. I have to quiet my mind entirely. I think to your point of, catching that little signal before it turns into a forest fire. Just smelling a little bit of smoke going, you know what, I'm, I'm not quite present. I'm not quite here. Let me get it back in. Can stop you from having these freakouts and totally seizing up in conversation. And lastly, I find that a, a lot of times the, the seizing up happens when we get too far ahead of ourselves. And yes. we're trying to line up that home run, when we're trying to find that next opportunity for us to join in, instead of just letting the other person say what they're going to say to us with open ears and being fully present. And I know that's fucking hard. I, I mean, how many of us, even when we're in conversation, we're like, I think my phone just vibrated. I think I got a few likes on Instagram. And what am I having for dinner? And I didn't walk the dog. And all of a sudden, you're somewhere else. And then it's very easy to seize up in those moments. Yeah, for, my, for myself, I have this issue because I'm trying to expand my vocabulary all the time. And I listen to so many podcasts and, and a lot of stuff to, and, and read a lot of stuff that gets me to think. It's my favorite thing. And I go down crazy rabbit holes of just mind expanding stuff and stuff that challenges my viewpoints. So then when I'm having a conversation, maybe it's even on this podcast, I do it all the time with AJ. When I'm in front of the guys, I will get caught up and trip over my words because I'm I'm working on new stuff. I'm always working on new stuff. I'm trying to grow as a person. And and so because of that, I have to be okay with tripping all over my words. And I have to be okay that sometimes I might not use the right word. And I've also, I'm okay with fishing for the right word. And I'll even say, I'm like, I don't know, this is this the right word for this? But because I'm, I, I want to grow. And if I don't allow myself that, then I'm going to be stuck in this box. And as I get older, I want to continue evolving. And to evolve is going to, I'm going to make mistakes. And I just got to be okay with that. And when you're okay with that, I think the, the pressure of seizing up 
releases itself a bit. You could just laugh at yourself and you're willing to make those mistakes for the bigger goal. Absolutely. I think when we are working on improving any skill in life and social skills are no different, we like to treat social skills different than we treat other skill sets. Mistakes are going to happen. Seizing up is going to happen. When you put yourself out there, whether it's on a podcast or on stage or a presentation, you're going to have those moments, those oh crap moments. It's working through them and realizing that that's a part of the process. It's okay. And giving yourself the ability to just chill out about it. Like take a little pressure off. I seized up today. Well, I'm not going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Right. I got it out of my system. That's great. I can move on. Well, another thing that helps me with that is when I'm listening to a podcast, let's say it's like I'm listening to Sam Harris and I hear him trip over a word. He used the right one or correct himself. I'm like, I'm not the only person. Right. The guy looked so up much smarter than me and he's <laughs> tripping over his words. So yeah. that, that releases a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's true. I think we have this expectation on ourselves to be perfect. And that's oh, one of yeah. the weirdest thing. <laughs> and, and I try, you know, I still fight with it obviously every day. But I think, you know, I've even noticed sometimes when I'm feeling a certain way, just saying I'm feeling a certain way helps because you kind of disarm the problem. It's like yeah. you're fighting against this thing of not being perfect, but just owning the fact that you're not perfect. I mean, those are those are all the people that I've liked the most in my life are the people that own their flaws. You know, mm -hmm. we know those people. They're so likable. Um, and I just think like as much as you can disarm this like hunt for perfection and just own the fact that you feel out of place, you know, own the fact that you feel a little goofy and go for it. You yeah. Know? And call it out. Right. I, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I didn't know what I was going to say there. Sorry. I spaced. Yeah. All of those things are perfectly acceptable. What's not acceptable is <laughs> frozen stiff. Yeah. So, yes. you know, calling it out, owning it makes you more likable. It makes you more relatable because we all get over our skis in conversation. Even the best of us will trip up in conversation. It happens. Here's the follow-up. Yes. Bradley's asking, what are good small goals to set that help you measure your progress as a conversationalist? So how can we track that we're actually getting better with our social skills? And I know, Johnny, you have some strong perspective on this. Well, I mean, it's always about journaling and, and writing. And I've we were talking about meditation and how at a time we found it odd or weird journaling was the same thing at least for myself of oh i got a journal about my progress what, what i can't remember what i did today like and any sort of writing the idea of fleshing out ideas on paper or on my phone or on my ipad that has helped me speak so much better where i'm and i'm cuz i'm now i'm not only i'm thinking it i'm saying it i'm writing it so all I can say to that is journal, write down your thoughts, write down how you feel some of these conversations are going. And with that, write down what you're learning about everyone you've had a conversation with. Oh, Because yeah. good conversationalists actually get to know the other person, mm -hmm. right? And that will fix what Lev was wondering about, right? How do I stop from talking about myself too much? If you just focus on having a conversation, I'm going to go home, I'm going to journal what I learned about drama today, what I learned about Johnny today. That will force you to become a better listener. And every good conversationalist is a phenomenal listener. They pick up on details that matter to other people. 
I agree. I think the journaling thing is huge. I think same as you. Like I thought, like oh, journaling—that's what like twelve-year-old girls do about their crushes. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. got a little like poop on your pen. Yeah, you have a like, lock. You got to hide your bed. Your diary. You know? <laughs> Today I had three great conversations. But I um I started doing that too. I started doing a gratitude journal every morning, uh, like right six on. months ago, yeah. and I love it. Yeah. And I love, and it is amazing. Do you know how- which one it is? Is it the five-minute journal by chance? No, no. I just bought a blank journal Perfect. and I just write my five things. Yeah. And I um, I thought it was super weird at first. And I am amazed at the fact that if I stop doing it for, let's say, a week, I start to forget how good things are. Like mm-hmm. you just do. There's yeah. something about writing stuff down that you we go throughout our lives thinking like, no, I'm doing better or I'm doing worse or I'm awkward. We just kind of label it. We don't actually track it. That's why everyone loves their Apple watches and their Fitbits so much, right? Because now you're able to actually track sure. how many steps you're taking. Right. That's crazy. So I think, you know, for me, I've learned to work really well with like I said before, I write things down like they're a to-do list. Like I have a an app in my phone that reminds me every morning to text my mom and I swipe it after I do it because, and now my relationship with my mom has gotten so much better and closer. And so I think even if you write down like this week, my goal is to talk to three strangers that I have nothing in common with and do it. And it's going to suck and you're going to feel terrible. And then next week do five and next week do seven. And before you know it, the fact that walking up to one stranger and talking to them was scary will be crazy to you. And the idea of writing down your thoughts and feelings, I know we talk about journaling, it's nebulous. Like, how am I going to journal? I don't want to write everything I ate. It literally is a very simple process. Gratitude is a huge component of the five-minute journal. I love that tremendously, taking time every day, morning and night to actually note what I'm thankful for, even if it's the smallest thing, because it's so easy to have the negative stuff get stuck in your craw. But when we're actually working on a skill set, we're trying to improve Just the simple act at the end of the day of writing down your thoughts and feelings from what just occurred, you track those from the start of that journal to the end and you will realize like, holy cow, a week ago, my biggest fear was saying anything to a stranger and now my thoughts and feelings were, oh, that was okay. Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. so-so. And it changes right before your eyes, Mm -hmm. but you can't track that if it's just in your head. And so what happens, what I've noticed too, is what happens is you can't track it. So you don't give yourself credit for it and you keep labeling yourself as awkward and you never grow. It's like, write it down and celebrate the wins and watch yourself move forward. It's the coolest thing ever. Also to add to that, you know, people are listening to this and they're hearing all this entrepreneurial stories and starting a podcast and creating a clothing line and doing music. And I know a lot of people out there think, well, that'd be great, but I don't have anything to talk about. I don't have any ideas that I want to do. That is, first of all, bullshit. And it's an excuse. And it's an excuse. And if you just spent, let's just spend, talked about a week waking up early, spend a week jotting down random thoughts. You will come up with so many ideas and content and just thoughts of discussion of that you want to discuss with your friends or explore it's you are a factory of of content and ideas and conversation you just haven't allowed yourself to notice that 
I love that. Yeah. And just do one. Just pick one and do it. Because we mm-hmm. snowball, man. Yeah. We snowball. We either we <laughs> snowball in a good way right. or a bad way. And like if you just start doing one thing that scares you or one thing that you're going to grow, before you know it, you're going to be doing two, three, four, five. And in a year, you're going to be a totally different person and think it was funny that those were the things you were asking about for tips on. Right. You're going to look back six months ago. I can't believe I asked AJ, Johnny, and drama that. Yeah. Lindsay Marie wants to know, how do you stay focused in a conversation when something goes wrong or you get caught off guard? And a little bit of backstory here. She was meeting a guy last night. When he saw what she was wearing, he went, well, great, I'm underdressed (laughs) and kind of seemed to panic. Logically, it was not a big deal. I should have just made a joke and moved on, but it really caught me off guard. And I went from super excited about the night to being like, oh my God, he thinks I'm ugly. He hates what I'm wearing. I wish I wasn't here. And my mind went completely blank and I couldn't think of anything interesting to say to him for a good 10 minutes. Man, that just gave me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thinking about what I'm wearing. I'm, I'm like, like oh the, man. Oh man, white teeth. I need some young and reckless. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I'm out of the age group. I, you are, right. Yeah, you're past the too, window. Too old. <laughs> I need old and stable. My thing on this one, like I said before on that other one, is just owning it. You know, everyone's nervous. Like the guy's nervous. He feels like he's underdressed. How do you think he feels? Like just say, I don't care what way comes more comfortable to you. Either joke about it and say, yeah, I guess you are, you bum, ha, ha, ha. Or just be like, you know, I really feel bad. Like, do you feel, is everything okay? You know, I wasn't sure, whatever. But just put it out into the light, take the power away from it and stop letting it just sit there and eat you alive. That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, and and when it's bouncing around in your head, it's 10,000 times worse than just letting it out and letting it move on. Yeah, what do you think's happened to that poor guy? And You're just silent treatmenting yeah. him? Everyone thinks this, myself included. It took years for me to come to this conclusion. It's a famous quote. It's been misattributed all over the place. Nobody remembers what you say. Nobody remembers what you do. They just remember how you made them feel. And her discomfort mm-hmm. made him uncomfortable, and that's what he remembers. He's not remembering what she was wearing. He's not remembering what she was saying. He's just remembering that, wow, she seemed uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable, and now I don't want anything to do with that. Our words, we put so much weight on them because it's our movie. We think everyone's hanging on our words, and every joke is the funniest. Everyone is living in their own movie. They're all worried about their own words. They're not remembering those words. So to just call it out, say it, get it out of your head— you're not holding on to it. They're certainly not holding on to it. And now you can have an enjoyable date. And certainly look for opportunities in life to put things on the table like that so that you start to getting into a habit of it. There is nothing worse than allowing something to build for weeks at a time. Months, only, years. <laughs> only to find out it was no big deal whatsoever. And, and how much you've worked yourself up, how many things did you miss out on, all because of this one thing that has been stuck in the back of your head. It's funny, you were mentioning about the uh, meditation. And I think every, well, most people get to a point where they're not where they want to be or there is something that they want in life. And they realize I cannot get it the way things are going. So then you go, I need to face a few things to figure out what that is. Once again, it, if you're able to start building these new habits, that kind of thing will never bother you again once it's out of the way. And listen, we're always going to have moments where we're self-conscious and owning those moments are far more powerful than letting them rule that entire evening. And now it's literally rattling around in her head so much that she stopped 
her day to message us mm-hmm. <laughs> and figure out how to get the other side of it mm-hmm. when literally just calling it out like, oh, I guess I am overdressed for this. Yeah. You know, I thought it was a black tie affair and move on. Have some fun with it. Yeah, you got to own it. You got to stop acting like you're the only one feeling weird. <laughs> Because we're over here talking about it on a whole podcast <laughs> and people are probably loving it because we're all bonding on feeling out of place. Yeah. You know and I, mean? I think that's been the beauty of the show is we've had countless people on the show talk about their own anxieties, their own insecurities. And from an outside perspective, have drama here, massive clothing brand, now a podcast that's kicking ass. It's easy to look at other people and go, they have it all figured out. They have no anxiety. That's why it's working for them. But I'm stuck in my house. I can't do anything. And that's not the case at all. We all have these thoughts and insecurities. We're all working through them, verbalizing them, sharing them with others, being vulnerable creates that connection. And that's why you're resonating and listening to the show. Thank you for joining us, Drama. This was great. It was fun, man. Great chatting with you today, learning a little bit more of the backstory. I know I was a big fan of the show 10 plus years ago, watching it in between podcast recordings back then. And here you are sitting in studio. There we are. We used to be neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're reconnected. Uh, is there anything you want to plug while you're here? Where can have, people find you? Just the podcast is my big like sort of passion thing right now. It's called Short Story Long. It's anywhere where podcasts are. Uh, and on Instagram, I'm at drama. Uh, you'll just, you'll find everything Nothing out. Nothing but of, drama. Yeah. I mean, you'll find more than enough out about me on Instagram. So that's it. That's all I care about. All right. Right on. Thank, Thank you. you. This was great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, dude. Thank you for swinging by. Oh, wow. Look at the time. We have to go. But before we leave you, we want to ask you for some feedback because your comments, ideas, and questions about our podcast have been and continue to be really helpful for us. So please chime in. Reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is a huge help. And sure, we love five-star reviews, but we also love the constructive feedback that comes with those three and four-star reviews as well. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe. We love having new members to join our family. And thanks to all of you who are submitting questions on our Facebook page and all over social media. You can find us at The Art of Charm on Twitter and Instagram. We love your questions, so keep asking them. Next week, we kick off a new month and a new theme. We're calling it Emotional Bid, so stay tuned to find out what exactly that entails. AJ, I heard some of our guys got some great things going on. Well, a big shout out to Dave Francis for sending us some amazing tips for our half marathon training. And congratulations to alumni Adam Mathis for getting married over the weekend. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Chris Olin and recording at Cast Media Studios in sunny Hollywood, California. The show is engineered by Danny Luber, Bradley Denham, with editing and production help from David Lorsheet. Special thanks to Drama for coming on the show. I'm Johnny. And I'm AJ. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>